Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the 8-week Autocar podcast series, My Week in Cars, with me, Matt Pryor, and him, Steve Cropley. Hello, Stephen. Morning, Matthew. It's uh, stretched out a bit, hasn't it? It's, 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 going, it's going okay. Near, so what's half a year? We'll be 26, so we're nearly half, nearly six months into it. Good God, I it's can't believe it. Going, it. It has flown. It has flown. It's nice to do, isn't it? Oh, really it's good fun, it. yeah, really good, good fun, yeah. Good fun. Yeah. Over the next half an hour or so, Steve and I will be uh, expanding on our respective Autocar columns and talking some other stuff, including... Your correspondence. You can write to us at autocar at, at, autocar at is the email, or you can find both of us on most of the socials. Keith Jex has written about a Mercedes SL. Keith says, I have owned a Mercedes SL 400 from new in 2017, and I'm very sorry they haven't replaced it. The new SL, tested in the magazine this week, isn't really a replacement for my car, and I struggle to see who it's aimed at. If I wanted a 911, I would have bought one. I didn't. I wanted a genuine GT car, with which the outgoing model is an outstanding example. The new one, which has a smaller boot, no longer the excellent folding panoramic roof or an electric wind deflector, seems not to have proved in any improved. Sorry, in any respect, the old one's more than fast enough. Does 36 miles to the gallon, 500 miles on a tank, is quite uncomfortable in sports mode, and makes nice noises uh, as fast as you can go on a public road. Hopeless on track, but that's not what it's for. The new one is heavier, has annoying ergonomics, and the price has more than doubled. If that's progress, says Keith, I would be happy to go backwards. P.S. Can I have a mug? Well, yes, Keith, you can have a mug. Um, on the mug front, as a second batch will be going out in the next few weeks. But SL, uh, I've read Richard Lane's twin test in this week's mag, and it gets a... I mean, they're both good cars. It's against a 911 Cabriolet. And it is funny, isn't it, where the SL... Where Mercedes has decided to pitch the SL, whether it should be a sports car like a 911 or whether it should be a true Grand Tourer, and it's handed over to AMG to design the thing. And I'm not sure as yet 
it's quite hit the mark as far as I can see. No, you see, I think that's a fair point. You know, the 9-11 is, you know, occupies a territory so well that uh, that perhaps that's what you'd buy if you wanted a car like that. Yeah. But you, I suppose they also, Mercedes, keep looking at the success of the 9-11 and thinking sports cars aren't doing too well as a type. Mm-hmm. Um, but Porsche seem to be able to, to seem to have the recipe. Perhaps we should yeah. steal a bit of their, you know, some of their ingredients. You, you, you can sort of see where they've gone, but... As a bloke who spent a few happy days and hours in SLs, you know, um, I, I do see the, the the lovely big sort of quick cruiser, mm. fairly quiet cruiser aspect. Yeah, I do. And I wonder if they've tried to broaden the SL into a bit of 911 territory while trying to retain some of the GT-ness but lost some of the GT-ness on the, on the way. Porsche do do it, don't they? They've managed to get, the, you know, the 911 is a... A, a sensational sports car at one end of the scale and yet at the other end it has moved into that old SL territory hasn't it I mean the, yeah. the standard 911 Cabriolet is quite a comfortable refined cruiser it is yeah these days. the only issue that I've got is is with the size of these things you know mm. I was at Bista Heritage on the weekend and, yeah. and as we may discuss and, and uh, I must say I, I kept looking at the size of current 911s that they have been they have grown quite a lot, particularly sideways, and yes. I, I, I like the little ones. Mm. But yeah, that's just showing my age. Well, it's it's. Well, I'm not sure it's your age, mate. I think the <laughs> I think the problem is we're a pretty small island and a fairly small continent on the scale of things these days, aren't we? And we are. We just people want two meter wide cars, and yeah. it's a bummer for us. And it does get pretty crowded around here. Yeah, yeah but I'm with you. Yeah, but I, also, Keith, I, I do get where you're coming from. I wonder if Mercedes, which handed AMG the role to make this SL because of the success of the 911 encroaching into its territory, whether it could have just gone well to hell with it, will go even further SL-ish, more comfort again. You slightly wonder whether they're, they're struggling to f- find a role for AMG, don't, mm. you, don't you? Because they they used to be <clears throat> just hot car people, didn't they? And they yeah. and you know, extremely successful hot car people, but now in in the forthcoming days of um, electrification, you know, hot cars are. I mean, we know that AMG cars are going to have very special um, engines, but even so, made in Oxford actually, or at least designed in Oxford. Mm. But all the same, they're going to be electric cars like everyone else's electric car, yeah. and perhaps AMG is changing its role. Yeah. Into a into a the the designer of sort of cars at the margins maybe yeah I do, I'm s- I am slightly uncertain about some Mercedes models in general but mm. make a lot of they're still I mean still very successful make a lot of very nice cars but I'm not sure they they have a definition in the way that they did for me 20 years ago my problem is with some of the styling I mean this yeah. is going to be extremely rude I hope nobody in Germany hears it but <laughs> the, the, some of them resemble a potato to me <laughs> This is the EQ series, particularly, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I gather EQ is going to die. The, yeah, so uh, I hear. Yeah, and everything will just get a normal. I suppose as ele- why why mark out a car as electric when all your cars are all have in- increasing amounts of electrification? Yeah, yeah. Aerodynamics is a is I think going to be one of the defining things of this decade because uh, actually, as we will mention again later, I think I was speaking to Citroen's boss. Vincent Kobe the other day, and he confirmed what I think what we were talking about last week is that aerodynamics is 
in an internally combusted car is a conversation, but aerodynamics on a on a in an EV is critical, critical. to improving the efficiency and the range. You know, it's yeah. a tier one importance. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I mean, an aerodynamic shape is an aerodynamic shape. You it is. It's it's it will be, you can make something look different, but it will be more or less aerodynamic. You know, it's just yeah. uh, it's just a science. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, there are innumerable ads, haven't they? Shaped by the wind and all yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, it's becoming real. Mm. But it's going to affect things like roof height and tumble home and yeah, frontal yeah, area. And yeah. So it's going to be even more, encroach on design even more, yeah, isn't totally. it? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, thanks uh, for that, Keith. God, we haven't even started yet, Steve. Let's no. start with your column, item one, and a car you have outside at the moment, actually, which is the revised Ford Mustang Mach-E. Yeah. Any good? Any better? Better, better. Mm. But but because it's been the comf- ride comfort in particular has been the issue we've had with well, not just us. A lot of people have said, "Cool, this is a bit harsh." Yes, harsh, but also poor body control. So mm. it's it's done two things badly: absorbed bumps quite badly, and also failed to control the body. Mm. I would say that they've done a springs and dampers job on it. And, you know, we haven't got a lot of detail about what's happened, but it's happened. The car I've got, I would say, in the olden days, the previous model was 40% of good. Mm-hmm. I'd say this car is 70% of good. Oh, so well, that's a big improvement. It is a big improvement, but it isn't good. <laughs> but it's still 30% away from good. <laughs> it's it's really interesting. There are three driving modes. I've been messing about with them coming across here yeah. this morning. And all the time I've had the car, I've probably done close to a 1,000 miles in it now. And I can't decide which I like best. There's a kind of, there's a, there's a supp- allegedly supple one which fails to control the body very well and gives you a dull accelerator. There's a middle way which puts introduces a slightly rubbery feeling into the steering. Oh. And there's a thing called untamed, which is oh, of course. sounds yes. ridiculous. <laughs> and it's a untamed is very similar to the other regimes, but at least it does control the body a bit better, mm. and the steering improves. Mm. So I run it around the place in untamed and don't worry too much about the it sort of crashing into the odd bump. But yeah. I, I do, I honestly wonder what the hell's happened. Hmm. That one day we're going to hear the story of this car, because the people who we know and we've extensively interviewed who know about suspension, I don't believe would be happy with this car. Even so, it's good enough. I asked myself on the way over, would I? be okay with this car if I was now going to drive for the next six months. Mm. And I would be. Would I buy one? Not a chance. Yeah. I just wouldn't. I've respected Ford for all these years for really knowing what suspension and body control and steering and all the rest of that stuff that mm. we've rattled on about yeah. is about, and it does not hit the spot. And I wonder what the hell they think in Lommel. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because I was just thinking... Lommel, exactly as you said that, and the times that I have been there with their engineers, usually for hot hatchbacks, to be fair, rather than cooking models. But they, you know, I've been there in a, in say a, a Focus Ford Focus ST, and they've had a Volkswagen Golf GTI there and a Renault Megane Sport there back, in, you know, five six years ago. And they've, you get to that test track they have, and they, the, they understand absolutely the nuances of all of those cars. And exactly what they should do when they say, look, you know, this is the Golf GTI. It's a great everyday hot hatchback and we've the Focus ST will compete with that. And that's, you know, that's the focus. Here's the Megane and it's a bit more hardcore. But they understand the steering. They understand the damping. They understand the body control. They understand the movement when you 
turn into a corner and lift on the accelerator and what yeah. a car should and shouldn't do and how a Ford should feel. And that has translated onto ordinary Fords as well. You know, Ford Mondeo has been the greatest, yeah. ordinary one, has been the nicest driving car in that class. And then they come up with this and you think, where does it, where's it gone? Yeah, it, yeah. Where's, it, where's it come from? I, I want Olin's or Coney or someone hmm. to just come out with a kit. I don't want three driving modes. This no. is supposed to be a, I, I know it's a family car and it's, a, you know, they they portray it at an SUV and all that. Oh, sorry, a crossover. Hmm. But it's still a, supposed to be a driver's car. It wears the Mustang name. Now, yeah. I just want somebody to get hold of it make the steering and the suspension lovely. I don't mind yeah. if it's pretty firm. It yeah. is firm anyway. Hmm. I just want it to be nice. Yeah. And I don't... Do you need drive it? Do you need driving modes? No, I don't. I don't think a Mustang Coupe has had driving... I mean, you, you can change the odd bit, but fundamentally, it feels like a Mustang. And you hmm. get in a sporting European Ford hatchback, it's it's the same. It's set up that way. Just yeah. set it up well. I don't. Why, why am I better yeah. at choosing what it should drive like than... The people who are, you know, who do it for a living and have done it for two, have set it up over two years. You'd rather, you'd, I'd button? rather have their, I just want them to tell me very directly what the best Mustang is. Absolutely. Yeah. And in any case, you, you find yourself fiddling between the three and not really being happy with mm. any of them. The middle one is, in a way, the least satisfactory because it doesn't quite tame the problems of the, of the low end one and it, and it, uh, it's just a bit of a mess. Really. Yeah, I found a few high perfor- higher performance cars of late which have drive modes, and I think most, most, several have too many. BMW M's and AMG Mercedes, in particular, I think have a lot of too many things to choose from. And uh, but I have driven a few and just put them in the fiercest suspension mode because body control is really good, and actually they're not uncomfortable. You get slightly more abrupt body movements yeah. but just there's probably a flatter body overall yeah. in what you would perceive the harshest I'm mode. exactly but, the same but I just think yeah just set it up properly and leave it and you tell me don't, yeah. don't, why do I Just you're the experts just do it properly and it's once. poorly defined as well you know there's a definition of each of these three modes on the mm. screen and you you read it and you're none the wiser no no unhelpful but still 70% it's a well, big improvement if I could get 30% better every time <clears throat> I'd be happy yeah 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 guess so uh, we mentioned Bista Heritage very briefly the other day for the scramble. You were there last weekend. I was there last weekend. I didn't see you. No, there's annoying. seven thousand people there. There's exactly, so many, so many people that I only realised were there afterwards when I saw their pictures on social media or whatever. But uh, there's no off season for the classic car no. thing now, is there? No, no, no. Actually, I kept running into people who said prize here, you know. <laughs> and, and so we, uh, you know how it is. But but uh, head under too many bonnets. It was but good, good day. Second, an enjoyable day. Oh, great! Yeah, but mm. I I do love the fact that that winter doesn't have to be a you know you don't have to sort of hunker down and, and wait for the driving season anymore. There's yeah. stuff on, isn't there? That yeah. we went to Brooklyn's on on New Year's Day. It was great, mm-hmm. packed out, stacked out. Yeah, I'm a, and is it because of the fear of driving a car, an old car in winter, is there salt all over the road? So yeah, it corrodes things. Are we just in a phase where we just want to drive stuff more or are people happier to drive stuff because some classic cars now are in the territory of galvanised bodies I and so on and so forth. I think that's a big part of it. But I think we're also in the era where 
where in the local B&Q for 29 quid, you can buy a pretty good um, pressure washer. There is that. <laughs> yeah, there is and, that. And uh, it, it, it wasn't always the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very glad. Yeah. What caught your eye? Uh, what caught your eye particularly at the Scrabble? Oh, God. I just it's hard, isn't it? It's so much. It's so diverse. Yeah. There's so much stuff there. There was... There was... I, they had a bit of a woody theme, didn't they? Mm. Um, there was a... There was a Ford, I think it was Woody, that was an estate car that was owned by Donald Campbell. That had been somebody had, oh yeah, somebody had hand painted it in another colour, and but the owner was allowing the paint to fall off so you could see the the, <laughs> the, the blue underneath. That was a joy, and there and there was a there was a fantastic Skoda wagon estate which oh, yeah. which had two doors one side and one door, one door the other. Oh, I didn't notice that. I saw it from a distance, but I didn't have a nose around. Nice car, yeah, um, and sort of that sort of thing. But I, I just love the fact that you go there and you, you, somehow you just get surprised, don't you? Mm. Yeah. I felt guilty because I went over there in the Astra instead of the you know, Alpine, which was just hardly playing the game. But well, it's fine, mate. Sometimes you've just got to get there. I was going to ride my bike now because it's three miles from here and it's freshly serviced. But in the end, it was. Uh, it, oh, the bike was in the back of the garage Bit behind of, behind yeah, a the, load of seats from the multi van that I've taken out. That I'm also, the old the fingers and, and toes. Yeah, exactly. So I thought I'll take the Land Rover. Because well, you've got your fantastic battery powered uh, uh, waistcoat now. Well, I have, yeah, <laughs> which does extend my riding season very very nicely. But in the end, the end, I took the I took my Land Rover because that is still at least a winter wagon, so it's kind of on the theme. I I'm about to buy one of these things for one of my boys for his birthday. The heated body warmer. Yeah, thing. it's amazing. Because uh, everybody. Amazing. T- Everybody that's got one says they're fab. Yeah, just to, just for taking just for taking the edge off. And I don't. I bought one because I wanted to extend my riding season by a month either side. I have some apologies if I've talked about this before, but and it just I wear it all the time. I don't have it heated most of the time, but now and again I'll just pop a little power bank in. And if I'm down the shed or in the garden, it just takes the edge off of life. And you know, cost of living crisis, Steve. You know, I can have the heating a couple of degrees lower and a little power bank Absolutely. charged in the office on. So, yeah, Perfect. Yeah, that's to do it in the office. That's yeah, the way. Exactly. Right. We are, uh, well, I don't know, 15 minutes into this half hour, so we should probably take a quick advertising break and we will um, come right back to be talking about Alpines in just a minute. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, welcome back to My Week in Cars uh, with me, Matt Pryor, and Steve Cropley. Steve, before we go to another letter, let's talk very briefly. You... Um, saw the Renault boss, Luca de Mayo, talking about uh, Alpine, mm. which sells, what, two and a half thousand cars a year at the moment. Yeah, and it was 1,000, yeah. Was it? Just, yeah. a, just a year or two ago. So, and Scott, what's his next? How many does he want to sell in future? Well, he's talking about 150,000 150, before, 150, before mm. the end of the decade, which 
And they are talking about five different models and a hot hatch, and some of them will be Renault badged, mm -hmm. sorry, Alpine badged Renaults. Yeah. So you can sort of, it doesn't sound completely out of the way, but I think two or three of them, are, at least two of them are supposed to be special bodied Alpine cars. And oh, really? I was just wondering what, you know, as the owner of a, as a proud owner of a, of a, one of the rare ones, mm. an early or phase one A110. No, sorry. Modern A110, but faithful. Yes, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I just thought, I don't know what this is going to do to my resids. Oh, yeah. I mean, in a sense, I don't care because I haven't got any plans to sell a car. But mm. but it it just made me think. And and uh, I feel fine about it. But, but uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, in fact, it's good news that they're going to try and do something um, exciting with this brand because one of the things that seems to have come out of electrification is... Is that we're all we're moving towards the core? You know, everything's a Kia Nero. Everything's mm. a, and and uh, you know, I think to push back the barriers and and you know have a few more cars that at least purport to be image cars, driver's cars in the EV era is good. Yeah, yeah. And I was talking to uh, James Disdale, our contributor, and David Pook, the ride handling uh, expert, I suppose he is really. But he also is he also runs Life One Ten, which modifies. A110s. Yeah. And on our uh, Autocar Electric podcast, which you can find elsewhere on uh, your podcast provider, he was saying that yeah, actually, if you. Is there going to be an electric A110 in the plan? Do you I think? believe it's related to the, the, the next Emira. Oh, interesting. You know, there's a. There's a, there's a put it this way they talk of a cooperative deal between Alpine and Lotus over right. a car in, in the A110 Emira oh, space. Yeah. But. But everybody's gone a little bit quiet about it, so okay. anything could happen. But but as he was as he was saying, I mean, at the moment that's a thousand eleven hundred kilo car. If yeah. you did if you did take out the engine gubbins, put electric, you know, with a modest, I don't know, fifty seventy kilowatt hour battery in it, whatever that might might be, you could have still a sports car at fifteen hundred kilos, which is heavier than an Alpine currently, but it's not outlandish, is it? That's that's not much heavier no. than the current Porsche Cayman. Well, an Amira, uh, sorry, yes, an Amira weighs yeah, 1,400, Amira doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I think a Cayman stroke boxster does yeah. weigh around the one and a half. Yeah, so it's not, out, it's not outlandishly... Uh, we have become accustomed to EVs being pretty heavy. We'll yeah. come on to one in a moment. But the, yeah, that's 1,500 kilo electric sports car doesn't sound too bad. No, no, yeah. no. I, I think the interesting future, mm. but I'm going to keep my car. Yeah. Quite right, yeah. Well, I think uh, the nice thing about having it is that it will be the pure, ice, brilliant, lightweight sports car it is, but everybody will know what an Alpine yeah. is, and that's not necessarily the case at the moment. Yeah. I'm not sure how many people know what an Alpine is in the UK or most markets globally. But it's you a know, we, brand we, I went to the dealer and we, to do some first time it's been serviced, and, and, uh, and the, I was having a chat with a bloke in a workshop, and he said... You know, one good thing about these is that when you come to get your car serviced, we don't take your trousers down. <laughs> That's good. That's good news. That's very good news. Uh, I'm going to read out a letter from... Uh, don't be offended, other readers, but Peter Taylor might be my favourite autocar reader. He writes, Seeking to throw some stuff out ready for my daughter to clear the house when I leave, open brackets, at 93, that could be any day now. 
I came across a stack of 78 RPM Bakelite gramophone records, all of music from the 50s except one, which is the seventh British Grand Prix produced by Antone with commentary by Rodney Walkerley of the Motor, 1951. In summary, though, because it was a three-hour race. Wow. My uncle and I, says Peter, watched from Club Corner, not appreciating it, until later that it was Ferrari's first Grand Prix victory. I can't bring myself to throw the record out, though neither can I think of any use for it, apart from anything else. The quality is appalling. Now, so I said to Peter, well, shall I mention it on the podcast and see if anybody has a use or a desire for this 78 RPM Bakelite recording of the 1951 uh, Silverstone Grand Prix? Peter is great because I saw a letter from him in the Sunday Times recently Clarkson had written a, Jeremy Clarkson had written a column saying, I'm 60, my life's nearly over. That's it. Death is coming soon. Yeah. And Peter wrote a letter saying, Clarkson shouldn't really, be, you know, shouldn't really be too worried about turning 60 or whatever it is. Here's a picture of me on my motorcycle. I'm 93. <laughs> Excellent play. So and he's still riding. And I love the fact that Peter is still riding. I got a letter from him, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago saying, I think possibly when I bought my Africa Twin, he said, I just gave up riding in my mid-80s but missed it so much, I went out and bought another C500X. Or what a man. So I hope I'm riding at 93. Absolutely. Really do. So, Good stuff. Anyway, Peter, if you would like a mug, uh, you may have one. But if you don't want one because you're clearing out your house, I understand entirely. But, you know, <laughs> there's one if you want it. Um, what should people do? If, if, oh, so write to, yeah, write, to, write to us, autocar at haymarket.com, if you have a use uh, or would like to do something with this... Um, Recording the 78 RPM Bakelite gramophone record. I don't have a record player, so it would be no use to me. I would love to hear a bit of it, though. Yeah. So if somebody would like it and can send us a recording of it playing, that would be terrific. It would be amazing, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? It would yeah. be, no, it'd be interesting to know what Rodney Walkerley sounds like, because wouldn't he, it? I mean, he's, he's probably... You know no, 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 but he... I know his byline very well, mm. because, of, you know, I read his stories, but but uh, he, was a, he, he was a, you know, the Matt Pryor of the time. Was he? Mm. <laughs> the poor fella. Oh, oh, and another Silverstone commentary related. No, I talked about a Lotus specialist last week. And at the time, I didn't want to mention him because I wasn't sure whether he'd want me to say he sells a lot of export stuff in Japan. But his name's Simon Scott Russell. And his old man, Peter Scott Russell, was a commentator at Silverstone back in the day, actually on the mic as well. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So, but anyway, Simon's a lovely bloke. And if you need your Elise or any, well, any Lotus service, he's the, he's the bloke. Where is he based? Oh, not far from here. Our, our kids used to play ice hockey together, which is how I know him in the first instance. Oh, so Bister Silverstone. Well, so, yeah, I think he's nearish Oxford, but he anyway, round, anywhere around around Oxfordshire. He's yeah, he's yeah, he looks after a lot of. Just before the pandemic, he came upon a Cat D uh, repaired uh, Lotus Elise that was owned by one of his customers. I think he said, "Yeah, I look at it." You know, every year he comes for a service and it's really nice. It was Cat D. Bloke wants to sell it. And I think he wanted like six grand for it. And really? I just, yeah. And I just thought, oh, I can't quite. I can't quite. But I wish I had. Garage space. What a, is a yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But a, but a, a Series 1 Elise is a more and more appealing car to me all the time. We're going to have to do, you know, we're going to have to do a story on people who who club together and get hold of an industrial unit and store cars in it. You know, yeah. Bremner does it. Richard Bremner does do it. So, yeah, and, does. and various other people, you know, people like um, Julian Thompson, even, you know, the former Jag designer, mm. now at GM, he um, he clubs together with a bunch of guys. I'd love to join up with a with a bunch of idiots and, and you know, with something <laughs> with about, shit. yeah, 20 cars and, and pay a bit of money, you know, yeah. maybe three or four of us or half a dozen of us. It'd be great. It would, wouldn't it? 
it would, and, and maybe somewhere to work on something as well. Yes, yeah. that's what Bremner does. His his they his places were former chicken shed, and that's fine. Mm. Dry, beautiful, yeah, secure. Be quite good. Well, that then is a problem. I mean, <laughs> I like the fact that my limiting factor is the amount of space I have, and therefore I don't make stupid decisions. Yeah. Well, slightly any more stupid decisions. Yeah. Actually, on Monday, uh, I think somebody. It's either BBC Scotland or a production company who are making a documentary about the Hillman Imp and its Scottish workforce. They're coming here to film Your a, car. A, bit, a, bit, a bit of my thoughts and the Imp. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm quite intrigued to see how that see how that yeah. pans out. Yeah. Be built, great. Built in, uh, so the Hillman Imp built in Scotland from the mid-60s to the early 70s, but never had the success of the Mini. No, beautiful little car, though. There was one, actually, that is what there was at, at, at Bister, on the end of a tow rope, funnily enough. Oh, really? <laughs> but but it, was a, it was just being moved, that's mm. all. It was a beautiful little car. And, you know, the symmetry of that and the size and, the, and some of the design details have never been repeated. Beautiful. No, really clever. Really clever car, yeah. I, I, I spoke to Gordon Murray at our awards last year, the Autocar Awards, this time last year. Well, March, whenever it is. May, May last year, wasn't it? And he said, have you driven anything interesting recently I said I have bought a Hillman Imp recently and he's got one it's completely standard and he said it was great you know the idea that you can get four people a longitudinal engine rear mounted rear drive and all of that into such a compact shape he thought the packaging was remarkable yeah so, and the Coventry Climax yeah, links and all that. yeah yeah brilliant so anyway uh moving on yeah let's talk let's talk briefly about I'm, I'm aware time is running away from us but let's talk briefly about item one in my column so just before Christmas, I spent a bit of time in a studio with the new GMC Hummer, static. And I thought... Where was this? In the UK? Yeah, in the UK. So first one in the UK. It's been imported by uh, Clive Sutton, who imports ah, a lot right. of yeah, that sort of stuff. He's got a glorious history of uh, unusual cars. Fantastic. We've, and to his credit, they're very happy for us to, to have a go in most things. And even if we say, as I did of the Dodge Ram with 1,000 horsepower... God, don't buy one of these. They're still very happy to just go, I don't know, but you know, someone will. Like, someone will. Someone wants one. Anyway, yeah. so they've imported the. So it's the first Hummer in the UK. By the time you've paid a commission to a dealer in the, in the US because they're selling for way over odds, and by the time you've got it in, you probably need quite a big shipping container for one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've gone through all the gubbins to get it IVA tested here on the road, and by the time you've paid it, anyway, it's 300 grand by the time it's on the road. Got and down. I was expecting, given it's got a thousand horsepower, four point one tons. Petrol or diesel? Oh, it's for all electric now, isn't it? Oh, it's electric. all electric. Sorry, yeah. So it's uh, one electric motor at the front, two at the rear. The rear wheels crab, but so they turn sideways, and it can they 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 manoeuvre so it can move uh, laterally, left or right, as well as go in a straight line forward. Just because it's so vast and it's so heavy, they think, well, you may not get round some objects and this little bit of extra manoeuvrability may help. How wide is it? 2.2 metres oh, wide. Oh, so not, five, not, no, not like not, the old ones? No, I don't think they so. Were no, three or something, they were three They were big, 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 yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, this has no military pretensions or or, uh, or, or heritage. And it's, it's got a... I think you can have a... I think you can have a body on the back or you can have it as a pickup. Um, it's got reasonable size load bay the rear step folds down in three different ways and has then got a power output off it plus a stereo so you can do the trailer tailgate parties that they do in the states and i just think actually while i don't like 4.1 ton suvs that can go from 0 to 60 in three seconds 
and 105 miles an hour top speed, which I don't want to try at all. <laughs> you can fine. see it's designed for a purpose. You know, somebody's gone, well, all right, this is the California's going to demand that we have zero emissions vehicles. And yet Americans go off roading. It's a big place. You're going to need a large car. You're going to need a 350 mile an hour range. Therefore, it's got to have a 212 kilowatt hour battery or whatever it is. That's going to weigh 1300 kilos. So you've got to armor plate it underneath so that that doesn't get damaged when you off-road or rock crawl or whatever. And you can see how eventually it just ends up going up and up and up and up and up. And you go, well, by the time it's luxurious to, well, okay, it's four, it's four tons. But that's the path we've chosen. You know? I mean, I would rather have a Suzuki SJ. But <laughs> that's, that's me. But I can see how you get there. Yeah. And I thought I, I found myself unable to hate the vehicle. Yeah, the, that's, even, a, that's even the thing. You I, didn't dislike it. Yeah, I, it's designed for it. But I don't hate the vehicle. I might... Is the old football cliche? Don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, it's that sort of. That's where I, that's where I am with it. I think, yeah. but it's interesting, and I would be intrigued to see what it's what it's like. Are, are you going to get a go? Behind well, you? this one's sold to an owner who doesn't want us to have a go, but I believe uh, them if they get one in whose owner is, they won't get one in on spec. But if they if they get one in whose owner is happy for us to have a, a steer, then we'll then we'll have a go. And I'd be intrigued to to try it. We're we're always pretty gentle with the cars they lend us but quite yeah. often they're uh, they're either mustangs or um ford bronco or the ram so we tend to be a bit gentle with how we treat the off-roaders because yeah. it's nice to see what they can do in the rough but it's somebody's car you know they've got to flog it so you don't want to oh, i think a lot of people would be interested in how it goes yeah i'd be really intrigued to, to yeah. what it's to yeah what it's sure. like, but um Go Oh, what should we talk? Should we talk part? Well, yeah, the other the end, end of the, the other end, the Ami Citroen Ami is the opposing end of the motoring scale, and yeah. it's part two of my column. Uh, You've been to... hobnobbing with the Citroen boss, haven't you? Well, yes, I saw some Citroen people this week. I think there'll be an interview with the CEO of Citroen, Vincent Covey, in the mag in a week or two. Uh, I spoke to him at length on the record, and various other sort of Citroen people who said, "Well, we'll tell you some things, but it's unattributable to who it is." So, but let's just say. People in the general Citroen sphere have been talking about the Ami, and um, it's a car that you sort of think: Is this the car that saved the to save the planet? Is this where we're going? Well, the sales of it suggest that actually it's primarily bought by suburban dwellers who French. already have a car or two. Yeah, French yeah. as a rule uh, already have a car or two, but want something that their teenagers can drive so that they're not on scooters or public transport. And then while the teenagers having a driving lesson in it around the around the parking lot somebody inside is sitting down with the parents with a with an espresso saying have you uh, have you considered a, a c5x <laughs> and it's a useful brand building exercise and it's not you know it's not going to make them loads of money but one it's bringing personal mobility to people who might not otherwise have it and uh two it's a you know if it wipes its face they're very they're very happy but it's interesting how we sort of think well these little cars are the you know, we'll, people will swap out of big cars into small cars and whatever. But actually, in the Ami's case, it's probably an additional car yeah. rather than not another one. Yeah. Except in some cities where you hire them for a certain amount of time and things like that. But even then, does it stop somebody owning a car or is it just giving somebody the opportunity not to use the bus when they've got stuff to carry? Yeah, or, yeah. or the diesel estate, I suppose. Or the diesel estate, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I see the appeal. Mm. I, mean, I did a met Vincent Cobby a couple of years ago. I guess it was a year and a half ago. And it, you know, we 
we amused ourselves doing circuits the wrong way around the Eiffel Tower for the camera. And uh, he's a top bloke. He so is great, isn't he? He's, yeah. He was wildly unattributable over dinner with him. And I said, Look, can, we, can we sit down and have proper 20 minutes where you will say what, you know, where you will officially say some things that I can record. And uh, he, But even then, he's quite, he's quite outspoken about yeah. the idea that Citroën will not do... Um, large SUVs. He thinks that a 2.7 tonne, 70,000 euro car is not in anybody's particular interest. Every time you introduce a new Euro 6, Euro 7 uh, emissions rating, you actually make cars less efficient and over their life cycle, because of the CO2 burden of adding 150, 200 kilos to it is is no better but he's yeah he's an interesting bloke and there'll be more to yeah to say but, he, yeah. but your point also is, is that you know Citroen aims to be distinctive and he's mm. a most distinctive leader isn't, isn't he? he yeah isn't he yeah 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 and there's not not that many CEOs who are he was very generous with his time for a start you know he had time for time for everybody's with us for you know the best part of two days I would think and on a, on a drive of the EC4X and um, yeah, I think wants Citroen to be known as doing distinctive things. Very charismatic and yeah, quite very engaging. Liked him a lot. Like him a lot. Uh, we've probably got time for yeah, we have got time for a couple of things. Right near the end of your column, you went to the Bristol show, the old Bristol Cars showroom. Oh or yeah, what, yeah. What used to be the old Bristol? Yeah, I was just wandering around there, and, yeah. and I, I used to go there and meet Tony Crook. Mm-hmm. The the great proponent of Bristol for I suppose it must be half a century, for highly eccentric bloke. Mm. You know, used to used to uh, only want to sell to the people he wanted to sell to and all that. But but I see that's now full of Indian motorcycles and that Crook for all his most of his life in that showroom fought a battle to make to maintain the Bristolness of it and not concede the space to the to the surrounding hotel. There's a huge hotel that surrounds it and they wanted, they thought that his showroom would make a perfect entrance yeah. to a hotel. And uh, I see that his wishes have been have been uh, respected even though he's not here even anymore. he's not there. It is nice that it's a motorbike showroom. That's yeah, good. yeah, I thought it was well, good. And also Indian motorcycles are that kind of uh, high-end niche yeah, not everyone's not everyone's thing. They're you know they're a luxury motoring product. Yeah, it's the old they? marmite so thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's yeah. pretty good. I know somebody who I think has one of the original Bristol cars signs, and he has put it on his shed in which he keeps some cars, and you can light it up at night and it says Bristol cars, and then you can flick a switch and it switches and a few of the lights go out and it says Bisto Ars. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is lovely. But I think a lovely touch that somebody's still got the uh, the Bristol sign. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, he was a remarkable cool. guy. He, he, he uh, Tony Crook. He, mm. uh, he he was matey with Sterling Moss. I was went he? around there one time just on spec, and Moss was in there, oh, and really? they were they were having a chat. Apparently, Moss and he had a pretty grim accident that came that uh, um, pretty much ended Crook's racing career. Oh, he really? he fell out of the car. Moss ran or nearly ran over his head. Wow. And the, and forever after, um, Crook kept this uh, crash helmet with the tyre marks on it in his office. So uh, different days, <laughs> different days, different days. All uh, right. Very lastly, then, this is a this is a worry, Steve. If we're you're thinking about sheds, etc. <laughs> the Mini Roadster, which was a car I'd sort of forgotten about until you mentioned it, was on sale for 
two years, I two think. Years, two all? and a bit. Two. And that's so that was a open top version of the mini coupe. Yeah. Which also also didn't hang around very long. Did it? No. No. And that was a. And for those that don't remember the mini coupe, turn of the last decade, twenty ten ish, something like that. Yeah. And it was a little. It was a mini mini shell. But then it had that small... The coupe had the roof that they said looked like a baseball cap turned backwards. backwards yeah. But always looked like a knotted handkerchief on the head of it. Yeah, but, yeah. Who and, is, the coupe, and the Roadster was a even shorter-lived open-top version. Yeah, I think it was 12 to 15, I think they were. Okay. But they... <clears throat> the thing is, the... Um, the, the I always thought the coupe looked grim, but, it, you mm. know, and the, the hatchback much nicer. But the... I just think that that little two-seater with the lovely, nicely sculpted rear deck and the... The, you know the, the the back matches the front really well, and the the car's not too long to be a two seater. Mm. It one of these days people are going to notice that car and stick it in the shed. And and minis do have a following, don't they? So it's they not do. so it's a brand that could. Interesting that. Yeah. Did you? I don't remember driving one. No, never I did. Much, I don't remember driving a coupe either, but I probably did. Oh, you must have. Yeah, must you, have you probably wrote the story, mate. Well, I might have done, but I don't remember. I don't. Remember. That's one of the one of the shocking things about our job, isn't it? You know, you you, you sort of come across some, you find yourself wondering what some classic car's like, and then you look it up <laughs> and find that you wrote the nonsense <laughs> yeah, on it. You find a, photo, <laughs> find a photograph of yourself at job and go around the corner <laughs> and go, oh, I don't even remember. But yeah, no, yeah. that is bad. That is bad. But it is bad. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, yeah, don't oh, don't. Don't get a shed with somebody, mate, because we'll fill it with mini roadsters and uh, no. all other nonsense. No. Future classic in the making. Right, that brings us, I think, pretty much to the end of this week's uh, pod. Episode 20. We'll be back this time next week. Cool. You can join me and Steve. Uh, then, in the meantime, you can email us, autocar at haymarket.com. You can find autocar at autocar.co.uk. Over on the YouTube, where in, well, as I speak, it's Friday 13th, but there will be a Mercedes SL versus Porsche 911 uh, video going up any moment, which is presented by uh, my colleague Richard Lane. Um, you can find us on all the socials, and don't forget, if you get a subscription to Autocar, you can get that digitally, or in the mag, as it has been every week since 1895, and many of the features, and indeed our columns, you won't find uh, on the website. So, um, until next week, thank you, Steve. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.